It's good to see many of you back from your extended vacations. We have a little postal file system for Christmas cards. Make sure you get your Christmas cards out of that file because the file will not be here next week. It's going away. Also, there's a George and Luann Christmas card back there if you would like one. Uh, I've taken this opportunity to put off Leviticus one more Sunday. <laughs> we're at, we're at the right in the change part. I, this is my State of the Union message, you might say. But here we are in 2015, and some of the hustle and the bustle and, and the holidays are over. But when we look back on 2014, we can honestly say God has been faithful. And we throw around little pithy axioms about our Lord and the faithfulness of God. And sometimes we only remember the good promises of Scripture. But what if God was faithful, say, 75% of the time? That wouldn't be bad. That's a 750 batting average, by the way. Or what if he was faithful 90% of the time? We would count that good. But our Lord is faithful 100% of the time. And that's so good to know. God is faithful. Now, God being faithful does not translate into us as believing believers having all our prayers answered our way. That's not God being faithful. Nor does it mean that we will not go through difficult times because uh, I think that's just part of a Christian's life. Things and circumstances out of our control often dictate our mental health as well as our peace of mind. But you know, we're not the only ones that have ever been troubled. Troubled by the events, troubled by what lays ahead of us. Jesus himself was troubled, especially during his last days before the cross. Jesus' last week, known as Passion Week, uh, we will look at that this morning, and we will see that Jesus was troubled. Troubled, knowing the cross waited for him. But we pick up our story. Jesus is in Bethany. Bethany was a village about, oh, seven miles away from Jerusalem. He's near his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, the same Lazarus that Jesus has resurrected from the tomb. And Mary comes with costly spikenard oil to anoint the feet of Jesus. And she breaks open this alabaster flask of oil and it floods the entire house with this beautiful, strong fragrance. Judas... One of the disciples is offended that this costly oil was not sold for 300 denarii. That's over a year's wages, by the way. And the money given to the poor. 
But John, he gives us commentary on that in chapter 12, verse 6. And he says, not that Judas cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. He also carried the money box. Have you ever thought about that? The least trusted disciple carries the money box. And Jesus knew it. I won't let you take our deposits to the bank unless I trust you. I'm not going to do it. So Jesus was obviously a much better person than I am about that kind of thing. But Jesus knew what Judas was like. Jesus has just made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's offended the religious leaders who cry out to Jesus, control your disciples, control that crowd. They're totally out of control. And these crowds are cheering and they're shouting out, Hosanna in the highest. But Jesus has a reply for these religious leaders. And he says, if my followers were to be silent, the very stones would cry out. And I want to tell the crowd, be quiet. I want to hear the stones. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been something? Stones crying out? But Jesus, he goes on and he talks and he removes the glamour of being one of his followers. He starts to tell his disciples in the crowd what it's going to be like to be a follower of his and in John 12, verse 24, it says, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Jesus has just given us believers the path, the way for bearing fruit. But dying is not appealing, is it? Nevertheless, our Lord desires that we all bear fruit, fruit that remains. Now, there will be times when we must die to ourselves, and this can be, not necessarily is, but it can be witnessing to that person who perhaps scorns your Christianity. They will make fun of your Christianity. We can even run a risk of being reprimanded by our employers if we talk about Jesus on the job. But maybe you've already discovered this. Sooner or later, you have to stand up for what you believe. Pastors, chaplains, school teachers, team leaders, any person of authority who have people look to them for answers, answers about things like eternal life, answers for crises like why is a child taken and their life not spared, different things that we all go through. And Christians, we're looked to for answers. People want answers for why they're troubled. And when a person looks to any of us for answers, we cannot afford to be silent. You can't. Now, it may cost you something to speak forth your faith, but so be it. 
Now, that's easy for me to say. Because <laughs> as a pastor, I'm supposed to have answer for life's problems and the things that trouble people. And as part of this fellowship, you have a right to expect me to proclaim God's word. You have that right. It's my job. <laughs> but you know, God's word is full of solutions. So let me read you our text this morning. John chapter 12, verse 27, one verse. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. When Jesus describes his soul was troubled, you can rest assured that his soul was troubled. Now, he isn't worried. He's troubled, and there is a difference. So we can ask the question, what troubles you? What troubles me this day? And there can be numerous things that trouble us. But let's stay focused on the big picture. Jesus is about to lay down his life for all of humanity via the cross. Crucifixion awaits Jesus, and it troubles him. Jesus is more than aware of the reasons. He's more than aware of the whys, why he came to earth, why he left his Father in heaven. The reason, the why he took on human flesh. Hebrews 12:2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our Lord Jesus looked forward to the joy of being reunited with his Father in heaven. Therefore, he endured the cross. But don't think for a moment that our Lord Jesus did not despise the shame of the cross. He openly proclaims that. This verse gives us insight, though, into Jesus' mindset. He gives us a little clue as to what's going on inside of him. And he's talking about his mission. We have to remember, we must remember that our Lord never surrendered us over to Satan after the fall of Adam in the garden. He never gave us over. Sin entered the world, that, that we know, but so did God's provision, so did his salvation. First, our sins being covered by animal sacrifice, but then our sins being completely forgiven by Jesus himself, the author and the finisher of our faith. We see the heart and the mind of Christ in this verse. But I think it's noteworthy that Jesus looked forward to the joy that was set before him. And this joy was a great motivator for our Lord. I think it helped Jesus endure the cross just knowing that he was going to later go to be with his father. 
The joy of being reunited with the Father in heaven, sitting on a throne, that's a happy, joyful thought for Jesus. Having come from glory, Jesus looks forward to returning to glory with his Father. Now, in heaven, God's economy is in full force. It's not like earth where sin dwells. Jesus declared in the Lord's Prayer, he says, Thy will be done on earth as it is, where? In heaven. Heaven is a perfect environment. Then Jesus was willing to endure the cross, although he despised the shame of the cross. So we're to never think that our salvation was acquired in any casual, spur-of-the-moment way. Our salvation was never a response to our sin. Our salvation, the cross of Christ, was planned before man was ever created. Before we ever sinned, before Adam fell in the garden, Jesus and God the Father, through the Spirit, had the plan of salvation all worked out. But as Jesus draws near the cross, the last few days before the cross, him being fully man in all ways, he is deeply troubled. Okay. Here's the rub. Here's where the rubber hits the road. My state of the union. <laughs> we see... The direction of our beloved America changing right before our eyes. If you're a Christian, you have to realize America is no longer a Christian nation or society. I hate to say that, but I firmly believe that. Yes, we still have many, many Christians in America, but our nation as a whole is totally secular. Living a God-centered life is out of step with our society, including our government, our employers, even with some of our neighbors. And I really feel empathy for our soldiers, what they go through to be a Christian in the service is, is really troubling. Many military believers are also troubled by the direction of our armed services. Now, as a people, as a country, we put on a show of appreciation with our returning troops, and I think we should. But all the while we do this as a people, our government continues to strip our military of honor and really benefits also. Now I say this because I was a Boy Scout as a youth. <laughs> and all I'm saying there is I have always loved America, and I still do, but America is changing and it troubles me greatly. And I know it troubles some of you. All the principles in life that I hold dear 
seem to be dissolving right before my eyes. We here are a church, a fellowship of patriots. I really believe that. And I'm very comfortable in this atmosphere. I don't think I can make it pastoring a liberal congregation. Don't think I could do it. And Jason was talking about coming back to home, and Mike was saying how this is home. Do you find yourself like me singing Sweet Home Alabama? Yes, you do. <laughs> but the question remains, what is to be our course of actions as we, as we see things grow worse? And they will. As believers, we have a chance, we have an opportunity to stand up and be a true Christian. Godly character stands tall in oppressive circumstances. We stand tall when things get tough, or we should. True Christianity, it is not the popular path of America anymore. But for our own sanity, fellow believers, we must reconcile. We've got to come to grips with our world is changing. Notice Jesus' response to being troubled by his soon crucifixion. He said, Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Jesus totally and fully understood his destiny. He knew what awaited him. Now we have all heard the story of the proverbial frog that is boiled to death as the heat is slowly turned up in his pot, right? <laughs> but I say to you, as sincere as I can say, we are to recognize how we live and where we live and the atmosphere around us. We are to know our times. We're to know our seasons. And we are to fully know that it's not by chance that we live in this hour, this day. It has been God appointed. You've been appointed for this hour and this day. Allow that to wash over you when you want to find yourself perhaps complaining, griping. We all do it a little bit, I guess. We are to be God's representatives to lost and dying world that is all around us. And it should trouble us that people we work with, those we associate with daily, perhaps even call a good friend, it should trouble us that all the people around us are destined for eternal judgment, whether that be good or bad. We owe it to them to give them the good news, the gospel. We owe it to them. Just this past week, I was asked by a retired minister, and I think he was probably testing me, 
What happens to those who die and have never heard of Jesus? But then again, maybe he was troubled by this. I don't know. I told him, well, we have Romans chapter 1. God tells us and reveals that he reveals himself and makes himself known to every man, every, every creation. Let me read you Romans 1, 20 and 21. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but, because, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Our gracious God deals with those who claim ignorance of him in his own special way, one-on-one. -on -one. So here we are. We're entering 2015 as patriots, as people who love their country. I challenge you, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. For we know this of our Lord, that he loves all people, not just Americans. We're to understand, we're to know that neither Putin, ISIS, nor Obama are bigger than our God. We're to know that. God's plan for this hour that we live in is being orchestrated by God himself. No government, no leader is a challenge to our God who loves us. And our God happens to be all-powerful. As believers, we can fret. We can be troubled by the direction America is headed. And we can look at things like the Ukraine and feel empathy for them. We can look at the Muslim world and feel uh, sad for those people that are under bondage and really feel sad for the Christians that are trapped in these Muslim nations. But Jesus in John, uh, uh, John 14, he begins to speak of his departure to his disciples, and he comforts his disciples, and he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Then Jesus makes a promise to all who follow him, not only the disciples, he promises all believers the Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 25 through 27. I'll read three verses for you here. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus promises us a helper, a comforter, who is just like him. 
The Holy Spirit teaches us of Jesus and brings to remembrance all the words of Jesus. So if we're faithful to read God's word, we're faithful to put his word into our life, he will be faithful to bring it to remembrance when when it's needed. Have you ever been in a conversation and all of a sudden a scripture just came to mind? That's the Holy Spirit working in your heart. But Jesus promises peace. Not peace that's temporary. Not a peace that's conditional. Not a peace like the world gives. Through his Holy Spirit, Jesus gives us peace when the storms of life beat against us. When our government, when our elected leaders are completely unrighteous and it is troubling. We as believers, we long for righteousness in our government, in our lives, whether we realize it or not. It is when you become a believer, God puts that in our hearts to be righteous, and we long for righteousness. And it's troubling when we don't see it. You can watch the 5 o'clock news and be troubled. We can see where schools are attacked and students are killed and terrorists take over malls and stores, and it troubles us. But you know, Scripture said it would be this way. We're told that it would grow worse. But Jesus also said, he said, don't let it trouble you. These things must be. We have a comforter. We have a relationship through, our God, uh, through the Holy Spirit with our God. God sent his Holy Spirit where each of us could be indwelled by his Spirit. If Jesus would have remained on the earth, he would have been in one place at one time. But he sent us the Holy Spirit that each of us could know what he's like. So when things grow worse and we await the time when Jesus will call us to himself i.e. rapture. No. That we have his Holy Spirit within us to strengthen us, to comfort us as we go through the times that will trouble us. Now, if Jesus himself was troubled by what he had to go through, he is so worthy to give us advice how not to be troubled. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, we can look around us and we can become troubled. But Lord, help us to come full circle. Help us to realize we have a God who loves us.
And Jesus, you told us that you would give us your Holy Spirit to indwell us, to comfort us. So, Lord, we ask for that. We ask for a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, we can become troubled over so many things, over finances, over the government, over uh, schools, over the way things are going. But you came to give us peace. So may we walk in the peace that you give. May we look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. So be with us in 2015, Lord. Might be the year you return. Be with us. Comfort us by your spirit. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.